Welcome to Flowcast, the podcast for the life of the world by the Dominican Sisters of Springfield. I'm your host, Sister Karen Friend, and today, in honor of the 150th anniversary of the founding of our congregation here in Illinois, I am interviewing three sisters about some of the changes they have seen in life and ministry over the years. I will let our guests introduce themselves. I'm Sister Marceline Cook. I'm, my hometown is Mount Sterling, Illinois. I entered the community in 1959. I'm Sister Mary Claire Fickner. I uh, come down here to uh, Springfield from uh, Michigan, uh, Richmond, which is northeast of Detroit. Sister Judith Ann Haas. I'm from Crystal Lake, Illinois, and this is my 60th Jubilee of Profession. Thank you very much. I'm going to ask each of you a question about what drew you to become a Springfield Dominican. Uh, so you can jump in wherever you want to on that. When I think about that, I, I, it's not always what, but who for me. And of course, for all of us, I think God called us here and drew us here. But for me specifically, I had our sisters in school for 12 years. And it was those relationships that drew me to our community. I always felt a calling for something more. And here at Sacred Heart Convent in Springfield is where that call went for me. Thank you. Uh, interestingly, um, I also was taught by the Springfield Dominicans for all but two years of my 12 years of uh, schooling. And noticing the differences in the in the communities, I was taught by three different communities in those 12 years. And there was something about the Springfield Dominicans. They were joyful. They were, I'm going to use the word normal, I don't know what other word to use, but they were just easy to be with. They understood us. They were a lot of fun. Similarly, I had experience with three different religious communities. Uh, two of them were Dominican and one was uh, St. Joseph's Sisters. I was always attracted to the religious life from the very first sister I met. I wanted to be like her. Much to my uh, parents' uh, dismay, I chose to come down here to Springfield because there were several Dominican uh, congregations, it, a couple anyway, in Michigan, and they would have liked me to go there. So it was definitely the, the charism and the behaviors of the, these sisters that gave me the strength to be stubborn enough to come here. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's very much like meeting someone that you're going to marry. You just know the right person. You know the right congregation. Well, I've given you a couple of questions to reflect on, and so uh, why don't you pick one that you'd like to say something about and uh, speak to it? I'll be glad to start. Good. I uh, have just recently come to the Mother House after a very uh, insightful mission called Cor Unum on the, uh, right here in Springfield. It's a ministry to young women uh, in the world who want to um, develop themselves spiritually and 
socially and uh, even uh, professionally. Most of them already have a profession. I got to live in the house for a while that um, provided them with uh, first in this during this pandemic and only just provided them uh, a Zoom space, but then uh, they were they have been able to come to the yard and into the house uh, recently. So uh, there's so much I can say about that experience, but the big thing about it is that I, I feel very strongly that they are showing us uh, a picture of women at least, and perhaps men too, of, of the future of the world and the church. Mm, thank you. Sister Judith Ann? I'd like to talk a little bit about uh, some of the memories that I've had. I remember um, on my first mission, um, the great camaraderie, relationships, community that um, the sisters experienced. We, we supported one another, and I think that flowed over into our ministry. You know, I think, you know, when I think that Jesus sent out his disciples two by two, and I think St. Dominic also did that, uh, I just see the importance of our being part of a community. Um, I did live alone for uh, nine years on three different missions. And, uh, you know, as I look back, I think there was a lot missing from my life uh, during those nine years. And one thing that um, I do want to mention is my first year teaching, I was with Sister Mary Claire. She was teaching sixth grade for the first time, and I was teaching for the first time. And so we got together and prepared lesson plans and so on. And um, we had the, the, the students challenge one another. I remember one time um, the kids in my class made a paper airplane with the challenge written on it, and we went over to their room, opened the door, and threw the plane in. And um, uh, we were challenging, I think, to a mission, um, uh, mission competition, mission collection competition. You know, and I, I think uh, that and some of the experiences at Marion are working together, doing dishes together. The community really has been speaking to me, especially as I look back at the lonely years. You know, uh, when Sister Claire was talking about Cor uh, Unum, and I think about our community, you know, changes not only in our community, but in religious life, too. We were initially focused solely on education. We did some health care, and then we did pastoral ministry. And my passion has been around social justice. And so that in more recent years has been a connection for our community. And so what it says to me, how we have embraced the gospel, especially after Vatican II, that was really a significant piece, that we embrace that gospel for the sign of the times. So what you describe, Sister Claire, is a sign of the time to be present to young women in our church. And what, even if they are, it isn't that they are going to join our community, but how can we help them to be um, better disciples, you might say, in the church and have a place in the church? Judith, you were talking about, you know, that whole community piece. As I think about over these years, Community life has is, is always been important, and it's changed in some ways. 
do you remember back in the, what was it, the 70s and the 80s when we practiced communication? We had lessons in it. And, and it was true, you know, it was, our changes in the community go along somewhat with society, but we learned how to dialogue with one another and share ideas. And it took us a while to be comfortable with that. And we are comfortable with it now. I mean, we still have many things to learn, but we do share with one another. So that deepens that community life. We share ideas, we share about ourselves. And um, I, I think that's really important. I, I think you're pointing out something really significant. It isn't one part of our life that makes us be Dominican women. It's all those things working together. So you've, you've named, um, without any prompting, those four elements of Dominican life, common life, common prayer, study, and service or mission. And those have evolved over the years. So how do you categorize some of those good memories that you have of life in terms of those changes? How have you grown into common life, common prayer, study, and service? I don't know if this is exactly answering that, but I think uh, it just occurred to me, I think what we Dominican women have done has to claim our preaching charism. And that certainly has made a difference in our lives. Mm -hmm. uh, in a sense, we can't not preach formally in church, but we preach in a lot of ways. We see us preaching, yes, with words. There are times that we can do that, but also just, uh, we use the expression, preaching from the pulpit of our lives. I think that's a pretty significant piece for us. The other change is how we see obedience. I remember when I entered, obedience was doing what somebody told me, in a sense. And we have really grown into seeing obedience as that listening. And, and that listening, it comes into um, even decisions about our ministry that listening and sharing, which I think is a very significant part of not just our life, but the life of the church. The life of God's people is how do we listen to one another? I think as a result of, of Vatican II, our, our preaching has expanded. You know, I think of um, the ministries that we um, had when I entered, basically health care, and education with maybe a few people doing something else. But, but now um, through um, obedience, through our um, being able to consult dialogue with um, our uh, religious leaders, we can think about where, where is God calling us? How can I use my talents, the gifts that God has given me? How can I use them best? You know, and I look, I, I look at the, 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 the areas where our sisters are now working, um, you know, such as Englewood in Chicago, the American Indian Reservation um, out west. The mountains of Peru. Oh, oh yeah, everything in Peru. Um, 
our sisters who are working in Harpa, our sisters who came from Lower Roya and, and who we worked there for so many years, there are so many opportunities, and that is preaching um, by what we're doing, the relationships that we're forming. And we have the opportunity to do it. And I have just recently come to uh, what some people would, uh, would call a retirement house. Some people in the convent kind of hate the idea of retiring because uh, they, we entered a life, and you don't retire from a life. It's like telling people that they're retiring from mat, from matrimony when they became come 70 or something like that. Anyway, uh, despite that uh, problem with the word, the uh, the reality is that life is very different. The focus of life is very different. And um, I think most of us that are here want our focus on prayer to be um, extremely uh, helpful to the world and uh, also to our sisters that are uh, still um, out there in the trenches doing the um, day-to-day work in uh, different missions. We can still talk about it with each other, and we have been, just in the short time that I've been here. I've been finding out from people what books they've been reading, what authors have given them um, good um, insight into prayer or into self-development or into uh, concern uh, for the, the most vulnerable people of the world. And all those conversations, they're brief. Most of the time, they're taken, we have them at the table during dinner. And we, we eat with different people. We, whoever we happen to be next to in line to get our lunch, that's who you end up eating with. It's not like we have special seats at the table where we all sit together. And so we have conversations with each other. And that is a great source of reflection for the next prayer session that we have probably alone, like in the afternoon, you take time now to pray in the afternoon. And the prayer is not um, a, a recitation of words or um, formulas. It's a, a deepening listening to what I've heard for the day. How, how was that God's voice for me? What about what that person said is unique and deep and uh, gives life um, that that life that is holy and spiritual so that's that's where we are all of us old sisters that are at, are working together at the mother house and some of the most profound sisters are the ones who are very incapable like if you take them for a walk in the wheelchair it's amazing what what beautiful thoughts they have by just seeing a bird or a flower and it's it's a great gift to us that are pushing the chair to uh, have that thought for the next couple hours that's a wonderful summation of that Claire Um, and I think I I just want to echo something and maybe you can talk about it a little bit more amongst yourselves Um, the retreat that we had recently with so many different people who are working. We had a different sister each day who was working with a group of people who are marginated. And um, the, the thing that sticks with me after that is the notion of Jesus calling us to be one, that you may be one. 
And those people are frequently left out of the equation um, when you start thinking about that. So to really notice people, I said to the sister who spoke um, about being the director of a shelter for immigrant women, you humanized the people that you described and talked about. And that's what's missing in so many of our political discussions of what we should do. So have, have any ideas like that floated around in your heads? I was on that retreat, and one of the thing, one of my takeaways was um, to look at those people who are on the margins, to look at them as people. Um, I had found myself looking at their exterior and maybe being um, um, turned off because they didn't look like me or they didn't look like the way I thought they should look. But I, I came to a, a realization that um, the, the, the people are human beings and to look at the beauty of their inside, not, and I'm, I'm just hoping so much that when I come in contact with people with whom I had a, a difficulty relating, I, I, hope, I hope I've changed. I made that retreat also. That retreat touched in me something about the work that I do because I do our Office of Justice, and so it connects me even more so. Um, I would want to say for our purpose here that that retreat came out of our prayer for the life of the world, which was the result of our last chapter. And one of the phrases in that is about attention to the rostros concretos. In Spanish, it's specific faces, but there's a connotation with that, that the rostros concretos are the people on the margins. And the people that are not looked upon as being like whomever else is looking upon them. And we tend to do that in many different ways. So um, in our anti-racism work, we make a community agreement when we're going to talk about racism because it's a difficult subject. And one of the things we say in the agreement, we used to say, um, Respect has to be a part of our conversation. But they've changed that to say, affirm the worth and dignity of each person. Because sometimes folks can say, well, if you respect me, you won't make me uncomfortable. And that's not what it's about. So it's always, how do I affirm the worth and dignity of whomever I'm with? And you're right, Judith, that, that retreat in sharing those experiences, the sisters who did it, they were affirming the worth and dignity of all the people that they share about. Um, you know, in our society, it's really easy to other other people. And I'm using quotes around the word other. And how do we, um, how do we stop putting people at the edges and at the margins? It's... Um, it's a real call, I think, in our day. Mm -hmm. I've learned a lot uh, uh, recently, recently, like the last 15 years, of the uh, value of working with um, uh, lay 
lay uh, Catholics especially, but even just uh, lay uh, people that are concerned about the world. And uh, we're, we're doing more new work now in the community with um, our work with the associates and the anti-racism work is one of them. They're, they're actually, some of the associates are gathering uh, in groups to decide how they can work in it. That is going to be a great gift to the sisters that work with them because it's going to it's going to renew their own um, commitment, you know, their own recognition of how they can be more accepting. And, and I think what both of you, all three of you, really are um, coming to is um, how does that support Pope Francis's envisioning? A synodal church. Oh yeah. Oh. I guess I think all of these ways are that listening word is important. Uh, to listen to others, to hear their stories, and to validate their stories. When someone tells you this is what happens to me, and you can say, "Oh, I don't think so. I've never experienced that." We have to listen and to allow other people's stories to be true. We have to validate them. And I think that's part of the synodal process that we do that. What we're trying to do in our work is to bring folks in and bring folks together. And uh, so that understanding of others, I think, is a key to the synodal process. Well, okay, I'll just add to that that one of the things that I discovered in a workshop that was just on Zoom this past week was the value it has been to us and to the people we're working for that we have a community. I was thinking also, as far as um, an example of the Synodal Church in our community, um, when we are asked um, maybe what we would how we would like to contribute to ministry. Um, simple things about community life, like uh, the schedule, um, prayer experiences, time of prayer. Uh, to me, um, we are practicing um, being a synodal church here in community. We also... I think, do that in how we um, govern ourselves. Right now, we anyone who wants to be a delegate to our general chapter, which is the decision-making body of our community, can be. And also, the consensus building that goes into our chapter and to its deliberations is a synodal process for sure. It's not handed down from above, except that God hands it down, but, <laughs> but in terms of people. Okay. Well, you have had wonderful contributions to make, um, and I certainly thank you for your participation in this. It's always risky to put yourself on the line like this. Thanks so much to sisters Marceline Cook, 
Judith Ann Haas, and Mary Claire Fickner for joining me today. These sisters shared stories of how God works through, with, and in our ordinary relationships for the life of the world. Did you know it is those words for the life of the world that give this podcast its title, Flowcast for the Life of the Worldcast. You will find all our episodes at flowcastlisten.org where you can subscribe to receive each week's episode in your inbox. There in the show notes, you will find much more to enjoy. Finally, a big thanks to the Flowcast team, Sister Beth Murphy and Brandon Durham. I'm Sister Karen Friend. Thank you for listening, and God bless.